One church, how are we doing this morning? Are we good? We're good. We got energy. Love to see it. It feels like I should be saying Merry Christmas with the snow outside. It finally came. I'll probably enjoy it for a couple days, and then I'll be praying the spring comes. Maybe you feel the same way. But uh, welcome to 2024. Uh, my name is Caleb Stout. I'm the youth pastor here at One Church. Or I guess more appropriately, more appropriately, I should say, I've been announced as a youth pastor. I'll officially start in June. When my wife Carson and our son Weston move here, we're so excited um, to make Westfield our home. One church, this is, our, this is our family, and so we couldn't be more excited to move here soon. And as you hopefully heard, 2024 is the year that One Youth will be launched, and we could not be more excited to be a part of that. We'll officially launch One Youth this fall, but we're so excited about it that we're going to have one event each month leading up to August. So for the 6th through 12th graders in the room, or your parents, anyone, take note of this. Um, January 28th, we're going to have a bowling event um, at Royal Pins Woodland from 2 to 4 p.m. Um, on this next slide is a QR code where you can join the One Youth Band. This is how we um, communicate, and there you can RSVP for the event. Please do that by next Sunday, the end of the day next Sunday. Um, I'm really excited about it. So One Youth, I, I truly believe that, that God has something special in store this year and in the years to come for the youth of One Church and of Westfield at large. I truly believe that. And as we kind of cast vision for what One Youth is going to be, um, the aim is to change the world, to change the world, starting with Westfield to change the world. And being a part of One Church, the mission is to reach, connect, power and unleash youth into the world for the one who is far from God to come back home. And we're going to do that by really focusing on identity, belonging, and purpose. Those are the three big questions that every teenager is asking in life. Maybe you find yourself asking the same questions. But we're also going to focus on spiritual disciplines and obviously having a ton of fun. But someone needs to stop me this morning before I spend all our time talking about one youth. We are in the second week of a series called Set the Pace, and in this series, we are discovering how to cast vision or receive vision for the new year. Last week, Andy mentioned New Year resolutions, so I thought that I would introduce some statistics to you about that, but before we get to there, the sermon's title today is Tuesday Always Comes. 
Tuesday always comes. Okay, New Year resolutions. How many of you have set them? Okay, a few in the room. Maybe some of you are at church today because it was your New Year resolution to come. 37% of people in the U.S. set a New Year resolution. Now, that's pretty high. And 87% say that they are likely to keep them. 87%. But only 20 or 23% end up quitting by the first week. So of the people who raised your hand, about a quarter of you have already failed. <laughs> and 43% quit by the end of January. So you have got a few weeks left. Which means that only 9% of people who set a New Year resolution actually complete it by the end of the year. That's low. That's really low. Why is that? Maybe it's because people often run on motivation instead of discipline. And we all know that motivation runs out pretty quick. Now, I've always enjoyed goal setting and New Year resolution making. A couple years ago, my college roommate and I decided to combine for 100,000 push-ups in one year. 100,000 push-ups. That's a lot, if you didn't know. <laughs> and come Christmas time, let's just say that we were a little behind. And so the two of us were each doing like 1,000 push-ups a day, every day for the final week. But we did it. We did it. Our arms, chests were mush by the new year. I probably didn't do a single push-up the next year. Lost it all, but we did it. My new year resolutions for 2023 were to read the Bible twice, to write a book, and to become a dad. The last one was kind of cheating because I already knew Carson was pregnant at the time. <laughs> but nonetheless, that was accomplished when Weston was born in August. Um, and I only made it through the Bible about a time and a half, so I'm finishing up that goal this year. But I did write a book. It's called Abide, um, so you can check that out. Juana and Steve have copies, but Steve told me that he's only read three books in his life. So we'll see if he actually reads it. Now, all those resolutions might sound ambitious to you, um, and they are. But, but what I've found about New Year resolutions is that it's less about ambition and more about vision. Or better said, New Year resolutions are about having ambition toward a God-given vision. For me, New Year resolutions are less about what I can accomplish and more about actualizing an identity. It's not about what I can do, but asking God who he's called me to become and then doing things to become that kind of person. It's about adopting the vision God has for my life and, and living ambitiously toward it by setting my goals, my habits, my priorities, setting my pace. Now that's my two cents about New Year resolutions, but what I really want to talk about today is something different. It's something that I think will inform our discussion about resolutions, maybe even reform the way we go about them. It's something called epiphany. Epiphany. And before we unpack what epiphany is, let me say this. On the first day of Christmas, my true love sent to me a partridge in a pear tree. Apparently, she didn't receive the wish list I sent her. <laughs> now, what in the world does that have to do with epiphany? Play, play along with me for a couple minutes, and maybe you'll have an epiphany about it. 
All right, help me out with the 12 days of Christmas. You know the lyrics. On the 12th day of Christmas, my true love sent to me 12, drummers drumming, 11, pipers piping, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, there we go, 4, 3, 2, and a, beautiful, beautiful. The 12 days of Christmas. But what, here's here's the question. What happens after the 12 days of Christmas? What happens after the 12 days of Christmas? Here's my first thought of what should happen after the 12 days of Christmas. I think it should be a breakup because your your true love sent you some really bizarre gifts. (laughs) I mean, if I open a gift from my true love and it's a tree with a bird in it, All I see is one big red flag. (laughs) But there's something else. After the 12 days of Christmas is Epiphany. Maybe you're aware of this or maybe not, but there's this thing called the Christian year or the Christian calendar. Now, a calendar, obviously, is something that organizes time in a way that gives structure to our lives. So the Christian calendar is something that's been set in place as a way for Christians to live in rhythm with the gospel a way of setting our lives around the story of Jesus. Now, there are different seasons in the Christian calendar. Some of them you're aware of, you've celebrated, and maybe others you haven't even heard of. For example, there's Advent, in which we prayerfully remember the anticipation of Christ's birth. Then there's Christmas, 12 days of celebrating the birth of Jesus. And after Christmas is Epiphany, then Lent, then Easter, then Ordinary Time. And so on, the cycle goes. And right now we're in the season of Epiphany. The 12th day of Christmas was on Friday. Yesterday, Saturday, was the first day of Epiphany. And it snowed. <laughs> so Epiphany, what, what is it? If Christmas is about celebrating the birth of Jesus, what do we celebrate during Epiphany? Well, in a nutshell or in a phrase, Epiphany is a celebration of revelation and realization. Revelation and realization. We remember the moments that Jesus revealed who he was and moments people realized who he was and why he came. And then having those moments of realization and revelation, they revel in it. They revel in it. Maybe you've heard this phrase before or seen it on social media. I was today years old when I realized. Have you heard that before? It's a playful expression to talk about a newfound discovery that you've made. Probably something, a discovery that you should have made a long time ago. Here are some examples. I was today years old when I realized that the word stressed is just desserts spelled backwards. Did you know that? (laughs) Desserts, stressed, backwards. Now, if you're just now realizing that, your life probably makes so much more sense. Here's another one. I was today years old when I realized that the drawer under your oven where you store pots and pans is actually meant to keep food warm. Does, does anyone know that? That's new for me. Okay, maybe, maybe it's just me. I was today years old when I realized that when the turning signal in my car is blinking extra fast, it means the light bulb needs changed. Some of you are probably, you've had a light bulb out for a long time. How about this? I was today years old when I realized that in the Amazon logo, the arrow points from A to Z, 
to show that Amazon sells everything from A to Z. Aha, aha, aha moment. Now, moment of confession, how many dollars have you spent at Amazon before realizing that? Probably way too many. Or here's another one, the FedEx logo. Have you ever noticed this arrow? You're never going to be able to unsee that now. I was today years old when I realized that. Epiphany is like a spiritual I was today years old moment when I realized. It's that kind of moment I was today years old when I realized. Epiphany is realization. It's awakening. It's a spiritual aha or light bulb moment. And we find these kinds of moments all throughout the Gospels as people are discovering who this man Jesus is. And the season of Epiphany invites us to remember in awe and wonder the work of Christ in his ministry on earth. Between the cradle of his birth and the cross of his death are these moments when he revealed who he was and people realized it. So during Epiphany, we remember stories like the Magi visiting baby Jesus to give their gifts and to give their worship. We remember Jesus' baptism, similar to like what Faith was saying, with John the Baptist preparing the way for him, and then the Father speaks over him as the Son whom he loves and in whom he is well pleased. Epiphany. We consider the miracles Jesus performed, like at the wedding in Cana when he turned water to wine, his first public miraculous work. Or when he calls his first disciples and begins forming his kingdom people. And all of these events of revelation and realization lead to a moment of epiphany in the transfiguration, the culmination of the epiphany season. Now, time won't allow us to look at all these momentous events of epiphany, but this morning I'd like to focus in on a few particular instances in which people had personal epiphanies about Jesus. Here's one of my favorites. It's about a man named Simeon and a woman named Anna. And their stories are recorded in Luke chapter 2. And in this story, it was 40 days after Jesus was born. And his parents were taking him up to Jerusalem to present him there in the temple to the Lord. Imagine with me for a moment this scene taking place. In the background of the scene is the temple, which had long been a symbol for Israel of God's presence amongst his people. And now walking toward the temple is this poor couple, Mary and Joseph, holding in their arms the Christ child, Jesus. So in this moment, as baby Jesus is being carried up, approaching the temple is the reality which it had long represented, the very presence of God. Imagine. Luke tells the story like this. Now there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought the child to Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, As you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. My eyes have seen your salvation, 
which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light of revelation to the Gentiles in the glory of your people, Israel. Simeon, in this moment, had an epiphany. In this man was a heart filled with hope that soon would come the heralded hero of Israel that the Old Testament long foretold to save God's people. And in Jesus, that hope became human. And now he held that baby child in his arms. Epiphany. God had promised that he would not meet his grave before he would meet the Lord's Messiah. And now, in the temple courts, he held that promise in his arms. The Christ child. Epiphany. And Simeon wasn't the only one to experience it that day. Verse 36 goes on to say this. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Epiphany. For years, this woman was fasting and praying with God-given expectancy that Israel would be redeemed. And being so fixated on, the hope, on that hope, she never departed from the temple. She devoted herself to worship in the waiting. To worship in the waiting. And now in this moment in which Jesus, the Christ child, is being brought up to the temple, she gets to worship the one she was waiting for. <laughs> in a moment like that, I can only imagine how her expectancy turned to ecstasy. How her waiting turned to wonder. Epiphany. From that time, Jesus grew and matured, eventually starting his ministry. And John chapter 4 records this encounter between a woman and Jesus at a well during his years of ministry. Some Jews perceived Samaritans as unclean. And because of this, they would often avoid Samaria in their travels. But Jesus, as John here describes, was unconcerned about those unwritten rules. He swerved from cultural norms. And to this woman, that was shocking. She had come to the well at noon, expecting to be there alone because it was the heat of the day when no one else would come. And Jesus approached the well. He sat down, tired from, a travel, tired from his travels. John tells the story like this, verse 7 of chapter 4. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well? And drank from it himself, as also did his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. 
But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. And you'd think that the woman's epiphany happens after that, dry, after that mic drop, but she doesn't quite get it yet. So the woman says to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't be thirsty and have to come here to draw water. The woman said, and later she said this, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus said this, I, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. <laughs> Epiphany. In that moment, Jesus revealed to her that the one she was speaking of, she was speaking to. How powerful. Powerful. And the epiphany led her to do this, verse 28. Then leaving her water jug, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And after her moment of epiphany, she left behind the very thing that she came to the well for. And verse 29 captures the town's response. Many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He, tell, he told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and know that this man really is the Savior of the world. The woman had an epiphany at the well, but then that epiphany began to swell as she shared it with her town. She shared it with the very people who had cast her out to the sidelines of society as an outcast. But having her epiphany, it expanded to the community. Powerful. And as time continued, people continued realizing who this man, Jesus, was. But Jesus was curious if his disciples were catching on to it. And Matthew records this exchange between Jesus and his disciples Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? He was asking about himself, and his disciples answered. They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. After their answer, Jesus asked the question he was really after. But what about you? Who do you say I am? Simon Peter, he was a strong-willed, sometimes pompous disciple. He proclaimed this. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. He was right. Epiphany. In that moment, Peter essentially proclaimed, you are the fulfillment of the king foretold to come. You are the anointed one we have long awaited. You are the heralded hero we've hoped for. You are the living God. Jesus replied to him in verse 17, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. Jesus was the Messiah, the anointed one they awaited. He was the foretold king fulfilled, and Jesus' disciples were finally realizing it. 
not because they knew it, but because the Father revealed it to them. Revelation and realization. Epiphany. The epiphanies Jesus' disciples had happened in the context of relationship with him over the course of time. But not every epiphany was like that. Consider the man beside Jesus on the cross. Luke 23 tells the story of Jesus' crucifixion, and it says this, verse 32. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there, along with two criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But catch this. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man, Jesus, he's done nothing wrong. He's done nothing wrong. And then Jesus said, remember, or he said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. So not only did the criminal on the cross believe Jesus was innocent, he believed he was truly king. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Epiphany for this man happened in the most unlikely of places. Hanging on the cross, he crossed paths with Jesus, who hung on his cross beside him. There, suffering the consequence of his life's crimes, the criminal met the one person who could save him, Jesus. That title placed above Jesus' head, King of the Jews, the truth of that title went over many people's heads. They missed it. But not the criminal on the cross. He understood that Jesus was truly king of the Jews. And by the end of their conversation, Jesus was his king too. There on the cross of this criminal's death, he saw salvation. He met King Jesus and was promised to meet him again later in paradise. Epiphany. Epiphany in the most unlikely of places for the most unlikely of people. Jesus, being the Savior and King, defeated death, being raised from it three days later, and people, seeing the risen Jesus, would stand face to face with an epiphany like no other. Luke shares a few stories of people encountering the risen Jesus in Luke chapter 24. One of those stories is about two individuals walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, about seven miles, and trekking along and talking to each other about everything that had happened regarding Jesus' death, they were joined by the risen Jesus himself. But in the moment, they perceived him to be a stranger. They didn't recognize him. And joining them on their journey, Jesus asked them what they were talking about. 
Luke 24, verse 17. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? What things? He asked. About Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. Verse 21, imagine the disappointment in their voices. But we had hoped, but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they have had a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it, just as the woman had said, but they did not see Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, How foolish are you, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken! Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? Catch this, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. I wish I was there for that. And they approached the village to which they were going. Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread. This is familiar to them. He took bread. He gave thanks. He broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened. Their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And then he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? These two individuals who were on the road to Emmaus, they returned to Jerusalem. They met with the disciples and told them everything that had happened. And then Jesus himself appeared among them. He said, peace be with you. But his showing was shocking, and it startled the disciples to fear. Verse 39 says this, Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. They were overcome by joy and amazement. They couldn't believe what they were seeing. And verse 44 says this, Jesus said to them, This is what I told you. While I was still with you, everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Epiphany. But not all the disciples were there for that experience. Not all of them had an epiphany that day. John tells this story about the disciple who was absent. His name's Thomas. John chapter 20, verse 24. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the risen Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. 
A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them this time. And though the door was locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then, then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said this, My Lord and my God. And Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen, yet have believed. Jesus, this man who Thomas had long known and been in relationship with, he now knew in a new way. Despite his previous doubt and cautious hesitation, he made this confession about the risen Jesus as Christ stood there before him. Epiphany. Epiphany. From Simeon and Anna, to the woman at the well, to Peter, to the criminal on the cross, to Thomas, the disciples, and those on the road to Emmaus, and many more. We see Jesus revealing himself to people. We see them realizing it. We see expectancy turn to ecstasy. We see waiting turn to wander. We see people startled awake from their spiritual slumber. We see them revel in revelation. We see epiphany. Do you long for moments like these in your own life? Do you? Do you so desire to know Jesus that today you find yourself on the edge of your seat awaiting a moment of epiphany that you might know Jesus in a new and fuller way? For me, it was a random Tuesday when I had a moment of epiphany. It was March 21st, 2023, a Tuesday afternoon in the middle of my spring semester of college. And per usual, I was sitting in the library that afternoon working on an assignment, just a normal Tuesday. And as I was there, I was listening to a worship playlist that a friend had sent me that day. And a few songs into the playlist, I was, I was caught by one of the songs before my attention was, was strictly on my assignment, the music was just playing in the background as a way to keep me from distraction. But suddenly, as I heard that song, everything that I intended to focus on faded to the background. And looking out the glass wall of the library, I saw the prayer chapel in front of me. And in that moment, when my attention was caught with the song, I knew the Holy Spirit was inviting me into a moment alone with him in the prayer chapel. God was tapping my shoulder, calling for my attention, and he had it. I wasn't sure why the song was so captivating, but I closed my laptop, I packed every distraction away and followed the nudge to the prayer chapel where I listened to that same song on repeat for an hour straight with my knees bent to the floor and my face drenched in tears. At the time, Carson was halfway through her pregnancy with Weston. And for both of us, it was, it was a season of prayerful preparation for parenthood. And 
in that moment of epiphany, I heard this song. It's called, it's called Dad's Song by Upper Room. There's nothing particularly special or profound about it that would give reason for it to catch my attention the way it did. There was no hidden truth in the lyrics I didn't already know. Really, it's just a simple song about God as the loving Father. But in the simplicity of these lyrics, God spoke to me. You were made to be loved by me. You were made to be loved by me. I'll hold you close to my heart until you see that even if you never did another thing, you were made to be, made to be loved by me. In a season in which I was preparing to be a father, God was reminding me of my identity as his son. Epiphany, epiphany. On a random Tuesday, the monotony of my everyday life was met with this moment that changed everything. God's love for me as his child, something I had long known, believed and experienced became real to me in a new way. And with my face in my hands and my life in his embrace, I reveled in the revelation. Epiphany. What about you? What story do you have to share? What moment of epiphany are you awaiting? Maybe like Simon, Simeon, and Anna, your epiphany is witnessing the fulfillment of the thing you've long been waiting for. Or maybe like the woman at the well, it's finding something you didn't even know you were looking for. And having found it, you share it with everyone around you. Maybe like Peter, it's the moments you profess the things about Jesus that you've long believed or curiously pondered. Perhaps like the criminal on the cross, you meet Jesus in the most unlikely of circumstances, crossing paths with the Savior during a situation in which you are most desperately in need of saving. Or maybe you're in the dark of deep disappointment and doubt like Thomas and those on the road to Emmaus, thinking that what you've believed about Jesus is false, fake, or fantasy. And then your epiphany happens when you see Jesus face to face and every doubt is erased. We often find ourselves going through the monotony of everyday life. And then suddenly we have this moment of epiphany that changes everything. Maybe you've recently had one of those moments of revelation and realization or maybe you've never had one or it's been a long time and today you find yourself longing for it. For us who are yet to know Jesus personally, for those who, who haven't yet had that epiphany, keep waiting, keep waiting. And for us who know him but feel distant or distracted, keep remembering the epiphanies you've had in the past and more than remembering, keep telling Keep telling the epiphanies as you await more. Keep waiting, keep remembering, keep telling. Your Tuesday moment of epiphany is coming. Your Tuesday might come when you least expect it. It might come when you most need it. Maybe for you, Tuesday was yesterday. 
next week, today, last year, tomorrow, whenever it was, whenever it is, whenever it will be, Tuesday always comes. Tuesday always comes. So for all of us, no matter where we find ourselves today, we must know this as we sit in the season of epiphany. You won't have an epiphany every day, but epiphany changes the way you live every day. So we're faced with this question in the new year. How will epiphany change the way you live this year? For all of us, that's the question that remains. Jesus, we thank you for the ways that you have revealed yourself to your people, that you came seemingly in disguise, and yet the glory of you was on display for all to see. And we pray that those in the room today would have similar experiences to Simeon and Anna, to the woman at the well, to Peter, the man on the cross, to Thomas, the disciples on the road to Emmaus, that we would have moments like these where you show up and moments where our eyes are opened up, that we would see you and know you. Jesus, we pray for an epiphany this morning. Amen.